Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. And here's why. Explode into space. <laughs> like a true nature's child. I was born. Born Is it to be, be stuck wild. in your head now, too? You can fly so high. Wow. You're never gonna die. I might be making words up now. <laughs> the things I have learned about Trisha Bobita today. I didn't know I knew that many words. <laughs> the things we both have learned. It was just there. That was impressive. Mm-hmm. Okay. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Trisha Bobita. And I'm Greta Johnson. Later in the show, we chat with Kimberly Hebert Gregory, the sharp, funny principal on the HBO show Vice Principals. But first, we talk with Lovey Ajayi. She is the brain behind the blog Awesomely Lovey, and she's the author of the new book called I'm Judging You. It's about how we should all be behaving better on the internet and also in real life. She's one of those people where when something sort of ridiculous happens in the world, <laughs> like on Twitter that's pop culture or something, yeah. I know I need to see what Lovey has to say about it. I actually first heard about her when she was recapping Scandal for Vulture, which is just like my favorite thing ever. Lovey's going to tell us why her purse is very full of lollipops, <laughs> how being Nigerian-born makes her a master of the metaphor, and why being a little more judgy maybe isn't such a bad thing. Lovey, I thought we could start. The book is called I'm Judging You. In it, you describe it as a labor of love and side eye. And I thought that was like the perfect way to sort of like help set the tone for the book for people who haven't read it yet. What's the deal? So I actually call it like the good angel on your shoulder that's telling you that you can do better uh-huh. in word form. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's a collection of essays on life, culture, social media, and fame, and why we are all ridiculous. <laughs> we are, aren't we? we aren't are. we? Yeah. Yeah. I like that partly because I feel like it has an appropriate balance of like being judgy, but also letting people off the hook a little bit. You yeah. know what I mean? Because yeah. I feel like... I don't know. I consider myself to be very good at judging, which is like sometimes actually problematic because it's not the most productive thing, you know. And I feel like, you know, you you spent some time finding the balance in this book between those things. Yeah. And I judge myself because I'm Mm. super worthy of side eye. (laughs) I am the person who will show up late to a conference call and I can't even say why. I'd just be like, yeah, I was 10 minutes yeah, late. I was late. I was late. <laughs> who does that? <laughs> Me. <laughs> yeah, that's why I start off the book talking about like how Nigerians can never be on time. Yeah, totally. And I am a very stereotypical Nigerian in that way. I will totally show up to an event 40 minutes late. I'm like, I, should, I, sh- I really need to stop that. I hope <laughs> it's not a one-act play because then you're just seeing like the last scene. <laughs> the last scene. <laughs> so now I have to be tricked into it. So my friends know, okay, oh, yeah. if we're doing brunch <laughs> at 1 – 
tell Lovey 12 so she can show up at 1230. <laughs> and she'll still be a little early then. Exactly. And hour. then I get mad because I'm like, I have to wait for 30 minutes for you guys. And, and they're, they're like, like, we wait for you. <laughs> all the time. This is how it feels. <laughs> I never learned. I never learned. <laughs> so who do you think in the world has the best side eye? Oh, babies. <laughs> Just think about it. Mm. Think about how like newborns and infants look at you like... You have got to do better. You're like, I don't even know where you're mad at, but you're right. <laughs> Babies have the best side eye ever. Just like the most skeptical of the most. They just don't trust any of us for good reason. They're just like, I don't really trust you at all. I would no. love to see a meme that's just like a collection of babies. Oh, you I post do. them online sometimes. Yeah, They're hilarious. Because people send them, send me pictures of their babies giving mm-hmm. side eye now. And yes. somebody sent me a picture of their baby wearing a onesie that said silently judging you. Oh, nice. <laughs> it is a picture I cherish. Wow, that's a it's really true. good one. Babies are often really good at the furrowed brow side eye, yeah. too, where it's just yeah. like, mmm. <laughs> I don't know what that's about. And you have to like apologize to this little thing that can't even speak. <laughs> mm. That's why the silently judging you thing is so perfect. It's perfect. I was like, where'd you get this onesie? It's so perfect too, right? Because when you look at a baby, you can just put all of your insecurities, be like, oh, they're looking at me like that because they know I shouldn't be eating this thing or wearing this thing. And it's like, really, they're just trying to figure out like if you're a person because they're contrasting colors yeah. and stuff are yeah. all they see. Yeah. But it makes like, great hmm? expression. Hmm? So, Lovey, will you make yourself a shirt that says loudly judging you? (laughs) Loudly judging you. Well, actually, I'm judging you shirts are now available. So I'm going to be wearing that all the time. Oh, that's awesome. So if I'm walking in the airport, people are like, she's judging me? Yes. (laughs) Yes, I am. (laughs) Just count on it. (laughs) So you've been blogging for a really long time now. Is this sort of like the culmination of all of the work in terms of, you know, like for bloggers, is the goal always the book necessarily? Yeah, I've been blogging for 13 years at this point. And I wanted people to have something to hold on to i kind of wanted something that would last longer than me so in a selfish way it was the next natural step for me to take yeah totally every blogger doesn't end up writing a book but as a writer it was important for me to produce this work and i didn't do it until i had something that felt book worthy Mm -hmm. to say you were born in nigeria Mm -hmm. you grew up in the u.s yes i'm curious how that background in particular has like shaped the work you do i know that's kind of a tricky question but i feel like it's a huge factor in your life and the way you approach your work right yeah i actually use nigerian slangs in my writing and in the book too and i put a footnote to let people know what it means i love that (laughs) yeah being nigerian definitely informs my writing my work some of the insults that i use are because i'm nigerian because (laughs) we really know how to talk about people (laughs) (laughs) like classless wonder which Mm -hmm. is one that i got from my mom Mm -hmm. she said that about somebody who had made her mad and she was like they're such a classless wonder and i sat there thinking about what that means man you have no you're a wondrous person because you have such little class yeah that's amazing yeah that's a really nice way of saying trash trash it is It is a great way to say trash. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that that I got from my mom. And the way we use metaphors, too, mm. Yoruba, the language that I speak besides English, is very metaphorical. And so it compares everything. Ooh, so cool. that also helps when you want to compare things to other people. And it's inter- like somebody said somebody looked like the sleeve of a shirt. And I was like, I don't even know what that means, but that hurt. Yeah. <laughs> That's not like the best part of a shirt. Yeah, because you know how it's always wrinkled and weird? I was like, I don't even know what that means, but ouch. Yeah, I yeah. guess it doesn't always fit right either, huh? It doesn't. Sleeves. It doesn't. <laughs> see, see, <laughs> I feel like if you're bilingual, that means you can throw shade in more than one tongue. It comes in handy. 
when you're integrating stuff that's more political, maybe into your conversations about pop culture, how do you take that first or second step into that realm, right? Because I think that we have a idea that like if you write about pop culture, then maybe you don't have anything to say about politics. Or if right. you write about politics, then you're probably obtuse to what's going on in pop culture, yeah. even though they're really intermingled. Because politics is pop culture. Technically, it's popular culture. It's the thing. It's part of our lives. I think it's important to kind of jump in with the same voice you would talk about politics in if you're talking about pop culture and vice versa. So if you're somebody who uses humor for pop culture like I do, why would you all of a sudden be talking about politics super serious? Like, oh, no, use the same voice, the same approach, and people will then understand that this is this is a whole human who cares about more than one thing, you know. So, I, And I think as a writer, it matters to be multifaceted. And also, it would get really boring to write about the same thing over and over again every day. Yeah, for 13 quit. years, you got to be able to talk about everything. <laughs> I would have quit by now if that was a point. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm fresh out of things to say. Thank you, guys. It's been great. <laughs> Do you feel like some people, though, are still hesitant to dabble in the political, especially yeah. with this election season, how heightened everything is because it's kind of a crazy election year? Yeah. You know, to say, like, what is the responsibility of somebody who has a bit of a megaphone, whether mm-hmm. it's social media or they're on TV or they're famous for some reason, they have some audience. Do they need to use that megaphone? I am a strong believer in the fact that if you have a platform and a megaphone that you use it for something beyond yourself and you use it beyond something shallow all the time. Like I'm as shallow as it can come sometimes. I'm talking about like yellow starbursts one day and why it's the worst. Pink is the best. Please know this. Didn't but, you say yellow starbursts are for your enemy or something yes. like that? Yeah. You know, like if you're opening the pack and somebody who you don't like is like, hey, can I get a starburst? You give them the yellow one because it tastes like rubber. I think that they're all really terrible. No, the yeah. pink one is what you give your best friend I to guess, show you like yeah. you go I like, together. I like the orange ones. You it, know what? I wouldn't debate that too much. Orange is my second after pink. See? I could talk about yellow starburst <laughs> all day. <laughs> but then the day after, I might be the one talking about police brutality or this ridiculous election season that we're in because I think you use humor to get people's defenses down. And while they're listening, you kind of hit them with the jugular of the stuff that matters. I love what you said in the book. I'm quoting your own book at you now. Even a whisper of truth stands out in an echo chamber of lies. Because yeah. I feel like the internet, like Twitter in particular, oh, gosh. is an echo chamber <laughs> of lies, right? Oh, gosh. People will take one thing and run with it. Yesterday's was the rumor that Angela Lansbury was going to be on season oh, seven yeah. of Game of Thrones. Yep. <laughs> and I saw it and I was like, this sounds a little bit too weird. I'm not going to post it. And sure enough, today we find out it's not true. Like, see... Meanwhile, everyone's like, I'm so excited to see Murder, She Wrote on Game of Thrones. It's not happening. <laughs> it would have been pretty cool, though. Oh, I'm, I actually, I'm a little bit disappointed about You're it, right. actually, to be really honest. a little bummed about that. A little bit. I was like, oh, that hurt. I would have loved to see her on Now there. that we know it's the final season of Game of Thrones, I bet there's a lot of people who are <gasps> pulling. Two. Well, but, like, it's kind of a fake two seasons, yeah. right? It's like the whole split season where it's, like, slightly longer than one season. This is true. But split in two. This so is true. So one and a half seasons. Yeah, we'll yeah, yeah. Um, but I think now you've got everybody who's a super fan of the show probably annoying people at HBO being like, can I have a cameo? I'll just be a beggar in the background in some battle scene, but can I just be there, please? Well, uh, I mean, there are always many likely scenarios. The trick is finding the one true scenario among all the likely ones. I mean, for instance, in my experience, the person who is being the most helpful in trying to solve the murder is often the one who committed the crime. 
Still to come, Lovey tells us about the origin story of the book's sugary mascot, the Judgy Pop. And then we'll hear a conversation with the principal from the HBO show Vice Principals. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. You're listening to Nerdette. Let's get back to our conversation with Lovey Ajayi. The star of the cover of my book, it's a red lollipop that is giving you side eye, a custom side eye, mind you. So I've <laughs> called it Judgy Pop. And it actually has its own Instagram account now. I know. It's like Flat Stanley. It's like Flat Stanley. <laughs> so people are taking it around the world. So far, it's been to Toronto, London, Vienna. It's been to San Francisco, Cincinnati. It travels way more than most people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more than me. Yeah, like seriously. I'm like, yes, take it. So the Judgy Pop <laughs> just looks at you disapprovingly. And it actually exists as a real lollipop that's delicious. <laughs> so was there a point in the planning of the book where they were like, we want to put a picture of your face on the cover? And yes. you were like, how about a lollipop? Yes, absolutely. Really? <laughs> oh, no, that conversation happened. They were like, oh, we think the cover, you should be on the cover. I was like, mm, no. I, I was clear from the beginning I didn't want my face on the cover. I felt like I needed something that really showed shade and judginess it was i was thinking i was thinking a gavel at one point like a judge oh, yeah. mm-hmm. i was thinking using a baby because there's a picture of me when i was three where i was giving epic side oh eye. that'd be good Ooh. so that was like the second and then one day i said i was like what about an emoji of a side eye but then i told my publishers they brought in a special designer who designed a special emoji for me so this is not the one that's in the app store this is a custom judgy pop and they put a little lollipop on it. I was like, yay. It's nice, too, because if a person's giving you side eye on the cover of a book, you might be like, wait, wait a minute. But it being on a lollipop, it, there's just an inherent sweetness to it. It's like, exactly. how how mean can this judging be if it comes with candy? Yeah, it, it, it's a sweet judgment, okay? <laughs> oh, sweet judgment. So Judgy Pop has an Instagram. Yes. And how I'm curious how many Instagram accounts you are running in addition to the rest of your media empire at this juncture. Oh, gosh. Okay, so there's my at lovey Instagram, which is my main one. Uh-huh. There's my must-love shoes Instagram because uh-huh. I am addicted to shoes. Like, shoes are my love language. They're my vice. And then my nonprofit's one, Red Pump. So, so four? four? Yeah, four. That's pretty good, man. Yeah. And you've gotten to do some fun stuff where you sort of, like, do takeovers of other yeah. accounts or, like, do stuff with brands. How do you decide... When you're looking at like a big company or maybe a smaller company, like whether it's the right fit for you, you know what I mean? Like, how do you like approach those things? Because I'm sure some of the things have seemed really awesome. And other times you were kind of like, no. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Like most recently I got emailed about like, hey, would you like to sell tummy tea on Instagram? Mm. No, I'm good on that. (laughs) The main my main criteria is one. Do I honestly like this product? So if it's a brand that I honestly like their stuff and already use it no brainer to work with them if they come to me i'm like so i just recently did one with bounty i use it every day multiple times a day it's always in my bag (laughs) 
yes, absolutely, let's do this. But I think it also helps because my audience understands that I'm not taking money just to take money. So whatever I'm standing behind, I'm standing behind it because I actually believe in what it is. Because I don't want them to lose trust in me and just think I'm shilling them products randomly. So Yeah, and then I think, too, my question, though, is like, if somebody comes to you and is like, go ahead and take over our Instagram, is there like a list of things you can't do? Or are they just like, we trust you. We trust you. Okay, so <laughs> I've done takeovers for like McDonald's and Toyota. So McDonald's is super conservative. Right. And usually every tweet or any post that goes out on any McDonald's anything has been vetted by a lawyer. Oh, wow. Because they yeah. want to make sure they're in the right. Mm-hmm. Wow. I was taking over their Instagram for a weekend at Essence Fest. And they were like, well... Our lawyer is going to have to see every tweet, so you're going to have to text him every tweet. And I was like, that's not going to work for me. So either you trust my voice or you just don't. Right. So they're like, okay, you know what? Cool. We trust your voice. We'll just have our lawyer be watching the the Twitter account. (laughs) Some nervous lawyer somewhere. Some nervous lawyer. I'll pour them all weekend just watching Twitter like, is she going to say something crazy? (laughs) What's she going to say next? What's she going to say? They didn't have to delete any tweets, so I didn't blow up the place. So it went well, and they got more followers, so it went pretty well. Man, tweet lawyering is not a job I even really (laughs) thought was a job until now. Until now. Literally, like... It was a. It was Thursday till Sunday too. So you imagine oh. this person just has to sit there and babysit <laughs> Twitter and just be refreshing to make sure I didn't blow up McDonald's account. Like that person went to law school for three years, <laughs> <laughs> incurred tens of thousands of at debt. least of dollars of debt <laughs> of debt. And this is what then I'm like, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> oh man, yeah, it worked amazing. out well. It worked out. Well. I think you know these brands just have to get used to the fact that okay, if you're going to a certain influencer, you do have to trust them to a certain level. Uh, you can't always be in such tight control of the messaging that it's not natural to that person. Yeah. So yeah. usually people will be like, you know what? You're right. We do trust you. Go ahead. So it's always gone pretty well. I had a moment a couple weeks ago. Some of my cousins came and the seventh grader, I said, who do you think we should have on our podcast? Who would you like to hear on the show? And she said, well, not like actors and stuff like that. Just get like these really great YouTubers and Viners that I like. And I was like, I've never felt older than this moment. <laughs> And I just feel like as an elder statesman of the millennial elder generation, statesman. elder statesman of the millennial generation, I feel like blogging is sort of like the oldest form of interneting. Yeah. And so like for you, are there other forms that are more fun or do you still, is your favorite thing still just the writing? Honestly, my favorite thing is still the writing. People tell me you should make YouTube videos because you're good on camera. You should vine. I'm just like, but I want to write. Yeah. I am a writer at heart. I am fine being the person writing the stand-up for somebody else as opposed to me doing the stand-up myself. So, yeah, I do feel old, too, sometimes when people start spitting off the names of these YouTube superstars, and I'm just like, who is that? Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> and you go, like, and they have, like, five million five subscribers. Five million subscribers. I'm just like, have I been in a hole? I've <laughs> never heard of them. Actually, that happened at a conference I was at. We did a roundtable that was recorded for external content, and I was the only blogger on the roundtable. The other four were YouTubers. And I'm just like, nice to meet you. Oh, okay, what do you do? I end up <laughs> go checking their numbers. Oh, my God. The numbers were just, one of them had six million followers. I was like, oh, I'm not worthy. <laughs> I'm over here with my 49,000 on Instagram, and you are with, oh. Yeah, it's so crazy. It's, yeah. I mean, there are TV shows that, like, get renewed for second seasons who have fewer than 5 million people watching them. You know what I mean? Like, it's just super confusing, I think, sometimes still. Well, and don't you still get the thing where, like, you tell people you're a blogger and they're like, oh, that's nice. (laughs) Oh, I totally do. Like, I feel like we're in such a weird generational middle ground that way. So I call us the bridge generation. Oh, I like that. So we are the generation that grew up. Like up to like sophomore, junior year of high school, but without even MySpace. 
And then Facebook started when we were in college, and then we got used to it. So we were, we remember AOL dial-up, mm-hmm. but we're used to DSL and, you know, <laughs> Wi-Fi. <laughs> the ones younger than us never remember the time before <laughs> Facebook did not remember, oh, there was never internet at one point. And then the ones above us are like, oh, man, I still love newspapers. <laughs> so it's so we're kind of we're kind of the middle ground here. Yeah. We remember when the Internet wasn't in your pocket, yes. when it was like a special thing in one room in your school. Yes. Yeah. And you would go during lunch. You didn't yeah, like oh, I have to go check my MySpace page. I wonder if I got a message from my crush. <laughs> yes. Yes. And now they're carrying 256 gigabyte computers in their pockets and they're like this is life the years are going by so fast it really is bewildering and we'll be so called grown-ups and have mortgages and children i hope we all gain worldliness and wisdom and maturity but i hope most of all that myspace falls into obscurity thanks to lovey ajayi for talking with us you should definitely check out her book it's called i'm judging you it's got a lollipop on the cover with the side eye on it. That's the one. <laughs> you found the right cool. one. Yeah, you'll There's find a it. Lollipop you'll know. It. <laughs> right around the corner, we talk with Kimberly Abair Gregory from HBO's Vice Principals. You're listening to Nerdette. And I hope that it embarrasses your children. Hope their bratty friends will forward it around. And I hope that you forget your password so you cannot take it down. Next up for you, we have a conversation with Kimberly A. Bear Gregory. She is the tough and kind of sweet principal in the HBO show Vice Principals, which is wrapping up its first season this week. This is the new show from Danny McBride, who many people know from Eastbound and Down. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a similar sense of humor. Mm-hmm. It's also got Walton Goggins in it, who plays the other vice principal. They are dueling vice principals, these two gentlemen. And they both think they're going to get the job. But guess what? No. Turns out it is given to the person we're about to talk to, Kimberly A. Bear Gregory, who plays Dr. Belinda Brown. Here's a little taste from the first episode of the first season of Vice Principals. Is there anything you'd like to get off your chest, Mr. Gamby? I mean, nothing really comes to mind. Well, this complaint says, and I quote, she's not very smart. And if she's in charge, this school will suffer in a horrible way. Dr. Brown only cares about herself. She really thinks... She's something. Now, who would write such a thing? I don't know. I'm not sure. Does it say who wrote it? Why, yes, it does. Okay, fine. I'll admit it. I wrote the complaint against you. Mr. Gamby, I've been doing this for some time now. Whenever a new principal shows up at a school, you can guarantee that people feel like they've been passed over. And oftentimes, they resent the new principal. I can live with people resenting me. That's fine. But from now on, you're going to be very cooperative and very pleasant when dealing with me. Because if you're not cooperative, Mr. Gamby, and if you're not pleasant, I will drag your face all up and down the parking lot of this motherfucker. Now, do we understand each other, Mr. Gamby? Yes, Dr. Brown. Wonderful! So that's Kimberly putting her foot down with Danny McBride, who is a vice principal in the school where she has just become principal. And we wanted to talk with Kimberly about playing a role where she is the boss to some pretty unruly men 
in an environment that many people are familiar with. We all, most of us, went to high school. Yeah, we I had mean, vice it's... principals and principals. We wondered maybe what they were thinking behind closed doors. What I like about it is I feel like high school is notoriously a place for bad behavior, but you usually don't get to see the badly behaving adults, and that's totally what's happening in vice principals. Kimberly, we have to tell you, we really love Vice Principals. It has to be a hilarious show to work on. What was the pitch like for you? Like, what made you decide to do this show? Greta, Trish, I'm an actor in L.A., so the audition is (laughs) the pitch. You know, it's, to be quite honest, when we heard that the role was available, I'm a big Danny McBride fan, Mm -hmm. just out the box. I loved Eastbound and Down. I actually like his comedy and I like the baseness of it. You know, it's like it's a base level of comedy. And from my understanding, it was the last day and I was the last person. So that usually doesn't bode well in an audition, right? To be the last person of the day because people are checking their phones and thinking about dinner. You know what? They were, I have to be honest. So I forgot that Danny and Jody were actually going to be in the audition room. And I heard him laughing with the actor before me. And this person was going in for a different role. But but still, to just kind of have that moment of, oh, oh, right, they're in the room. So when you hear the laughter coming from the person ahead of you, is that a moment Mm. for you that's like, okay, challenge accepted? Like, (laughs) did that make you kind of rise (laughs) to the challenge a little bit? No, it made me <laughs> run out into the hall and feel like I wanted to throw up. Did it feel like a role that that was kind of meant for you? I mean, you seem to embody it so perfectly. It's like, oh, yeah, she's a principal for sure. When I read the script, I can say I kind of fell in love with Dr. Belinda Brown. Uh-huh. You know, I felt like she represented working women in a way that I felt was like, yeah, that's the real challenge of working women in positions of power when other people think actually you shouldn't be in that position or even if you should be in the position, the position still should have been mine. I think she represents that well and she represents it in a really nice, flawed way. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I can get on board with this lady. You know, she's a hot mess, (laughs) but she's so committed to her, her mess. And I, I, you know, I live by that. (laughs) (laughs) One of my favorite things about her is, you know, she is an excellent principal, right? She's super organized. She's rigorous. She's intense. And then to see her come home and her own two children are just disasters. They're just like the most (laughs) poorly behaved terror little monster children. I love stories about people who are passionate about their jobs and a total mess in their personal life. Yeah. And the fabulous thing about her is like she's totally passionate about that, too, but she just doesn't have the tools to fix it, you know, because she has two other human beings who have their own personalities. And boy, those little boys have personalities. (laughs) I said they could never grow up in my house. They would have been dead a long time ago. (laughs) They wouldn't have made it in the A-Bear family. You're laughing, but I can tell you're not kidding. I'm not playing with you. So one of the things that I think is the most unique about acting as a creative pursuit, right, is that whereas a novelist can sit alone in a room for two years and create the thing they want to create or a painter can, an actor needs a lot of other people to say yes before they can really 
create the thing they want to create in most cases, right? Mm-hmm. And and so I think about that when we talk about things like diversity on screen, how many other people have to have an open mind and a different point of view to change that before we even get to who's on screen, mm-hmm. right? And I wonder for mm-hmm. you as an actor, you like you said, you're going into auditions and you're you're doing the work, but what do you think it's going to take to get more representation in our media? Well, it has to be a dismantling, right? And a reimagining. And so I think there has to be like real honesty. And, you know, we're always talking about privilege and power and how can we share that? And that's the thing about particular industries. It's not about necessarily having that power expanded out. It's based somewhere. It's based in a studio. You know what I mean? It's based at the top. Mm -hmm. And if the person at the top creates images that basically reflect his fantasy life, not even his real life, but his his fantasy life. (laughs) And if I, a person in my body, a black female body, if that person is not a part of his fantasy or LGBTQ, that's not a part of the fantasy, then we don't exist because it's an inability to imagine us. And that's the thing that I'm so excited about for this particular project is that they didn't shy away from what it might look like, right? That they have this woman in this body standing next to these two men and what that might be. And I know people have a response to that. And I also think we have to look at that when people look at this and go, what does that mean to have a black woman and two white men going after her? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that kind of knee jerk response to what you're just visually seeing without really delving into what you're actually struggling with is white male entitlement playing itself out and this black body is in the middle of it. But if it was, say, for instance, it was Melissa McCarthy, we wouldn't be having the conversation, right? Because it's kind of okay for that to happen. Or if it was Bill Murray, it would be like, (laughs) oh, these funny, you know, these funny guys are doing this to just get rid of this principle. Right. Yeah. But the fact that we have to kind of step back and go, wow, how does that make me feel to see these two guys go after her is the one of the reasons why I think it's hard for women of color in particular to kind of break through. And I think we have to imagine what equality would look like, because that's kind of equality. Mm -hmm. If two jerks go after a black woman, (laughs) you know what I mean? That's equality. (laughs) On one level. Right. Especially because Belinda can hold her own. (laughs) Well, and that's the thing. It's like if I shied away from every room that I would walk into when I was the only of something, only woman, only person of color, we would not be talking today. Right. Right. We just wouldn't. So I think it's about imagination that people at the top of our industry struggle with actually imagining and seeing past the archetypes that they have created. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. we created these archetypes for women. And so you really can't go past that. We've created these archetypes for people of color and you really can't go past that. And if you have both of those things in one body, then you know what? You really can't go anywhere. And, And my desire, my wish and my hope is that this is pretend. Imagine me. 
you know, imagine me as your, just pretend, pretend I'm your next door neighbor. <laughs> pretend I'm the girl next door, you know, because I want Spider-Man, Batman, Superman. I want to be their villain. And I don't want people to be like, oh, but it feels so bad because she's a black woman. Trust me, I can handle my own. I can, you know, it's not a problem. I can take them down. Kimberly, I just want to thank you so much for joining us on Nerdette. Thank you so You're much, ladies. I really appreciate this. Thank Enjoy you. the show. Super we didn't fun. even get to talk about my nerd stuff. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, maybe you'll, maybe you'll come visit us in Chicago sometime. Yeah, come through. I can do it. Yes. I can do that. Okay, I cool. I can do that. Yay. Thank you, ladies. Thank right, you. Have so a much. good one. All right. Bye. Bye, Bye you too. Thanks to Kimberly A. Bear Gregory for chatting with us. You should watch Vice Principals if you haven't yet. If you've got any of the HBO-ness, you can catch up on that first season, which is ending shortly. And just a special shout out to the most excellent vice principal that I know, <laughs> my older brother. Yes. Who is a very cool vice principal and very well behaved, I assure everyone. He does seem both cool and well behaved from what I can tell. Because he's a nerd. He's a good nerd, that one. <laughs> The show is produced by us, Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson, along with Joe Dussault and our intern, Annie Newen. Our executive producer is Joel Meyer. You can listen to us wherever you are, but we would love it if you took the plunge and subscribe. Follow us on NPR One. Give us all the stars in iTunes, maybe, if you're feeling generous. Thanks to KHUD1967 for the iTunes review. It might be Kahood. I'm not quite sure. I kind of like KHUD for some reason. I think like K-HUD is the nickname version of this. Either way, I think we can decide that. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. In any case, we always welcome all of the stars. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Nerdette Podcast. Yes, we are at all of the things. I leave teeny tiny book reviews on Instagram. We have fun tweets, too. Check us out. Nerdette is a production of WBZ Chicago, where you can find podcasts for nerds of all stripes. Music nerds should absolutely be checking out Sound Opinions. Find out more at WBEZ.org. Our theme music is by Pottington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. Born to be one. Yeah. I love the lightning. Every metal thunder. The racing with the wind. And the feeling that I'm under. Yeah, I got a Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.